Alright gang, welcome to the Real Time Experience Podcast with your host Jose Medina. I'm here live with uh, Lead Tactics Incorporated uh, team of uh, Nima Safaport and Jason Perry. Guys, thank you for taking a few minutes of your time. I know you guys probably have busy schedules for uh, jumping on board. Uh, I haven't done a podcast since last August because I've been busy training cops uh, since I retired last year. So uh, I'm finally getting back into it. I saw your website um, on Instagram and I saw... Uh, you guys and Renzo, I was like, I had to reach out to see, you know, your mission was pretty much what mine has been for the past 27 years. So, welcome. The honor is ours. Thank you very, very much for having us, Jose, and thank you for all of your service uh, during your career and now during your retirement. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, So, I'm going to go right into it. Um, No flash and pizzazz. You know, we get a lot of people that jump on and listen to our stuff, especially a lot of... um, a lot of admin, police chief, you guys you guys probably deal with a lot of that, you know, the brass too with your business. Um, so I want to go right into the who, what, where, and why. Um, you know, each one of you, you might just uh, one at a time, just tell me a little bit about your background. Um, and then uh, just kind of overall, we'll talk about the mission, what you guys are planning on doing. Sure. Jason, do you want to do your background first or shall I? Sure. Um, I've, I'm actually... Um, uh, Black belt, third degree black belt in jiu-jitsu. I've been training under Justin Sanginito, who actually grew up with uh, Enzo, good friends with Enzo, um, and lived in Southern California uh, all of my life. And um, I'm an electrical engineer and a director of operations with a small company out here in Southern California. Uh, he's also very modest. He's also the CEO of our company, and he's the individual that came up with the idea and brought our group together. So my name is Nima Santafor. I'm a black belt under Jason Sanjanito and Hal Gracie. I've been doing martial arts since I was since 1993. I've been doing jiu-jitsu since 1995. Um, I'm a licensed member of the California Bar Association, so I'm a lawyer by my license. Um, I did my undergraduate at UCLA and I did my law degree at Columbia University. I was a practicing attorney for a number of years, uh, both in business and entertainment and, and real estate. Uh, back in 2008, I got into the sports space where I started representing elite level mixed martial arts athletes, combat sports athletes. And I've been doing that for nearly 15 years at a very, very high level. So basically, I, I'm a lifelong martial artist. I've been in business my whole life. I'm, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And I almost I feel like everything that our group has done, done up until this point has kind of led us to this very moment to start this project. So a couple of years ago, Jason brought all of us together, our whole team, because we've all known each other for anywhere between 20 to 40 years. I mean, that's how close-knit we are. And it's a jiu-jitsu relationship, but you can probably appreciate this yeah. different kind of relationship. It's a relationship that's literally built on blood, sweat, and tears. So the beautiful thing about jiu-jitsu is, is that you have a room that's usually very, very diverse. It's very, very different people, and everyone's the same at the same time, Man. if that makes sense. So what's nice about our group is that every person is very, very different in personality, in worldviews. Um, the one common denominator we have is we all love jiu-jitsu and we see each other as human beings. But we share the same worldviews, we're very, very well connected, and Jason had this idea for this project back in early 2019. 
And then the more he started thinking about it, he just basically brought us in and we started the project at that point. We started building the project and the infrastructure and it took us about two years to finally get everything ready to launch it, which we launched just recently, as you know. Okay, cool. So, so uh, Jason, if you don't mind me asking, um, when you first came up with this idea, right, you were the guy, the brain behind the whole operation to start. Uh, what was kind of, I saw the mission on your website, and we'll give the audience your website before we go again. But what was your kind of your mission and vision uh, when you started this thing? Well, I, I would say the only big thing about LA traffic is you have time to think. And, and that's exactly what I did. I was piecing it together. I've always had the idea of offering uh, police departments um, uh, like kind of a, a contract-based um, uh, training. So we would have, we would be able to facilitate, whether it was one school or two schools or a few schools, we'd be able to facilitate uh, police officers at, at any given department and, um, and, and, and hopefully um, be able to somehow change the culture just by, by getting in. Not that we need to change it, we just, what we wanted to do was, was offer them uh, not one an outlet to be able to uh, to be able to take some of that stress off of their shoulders and, and to give them the tools um, to be able to to walk into a situation with, with confidence. When you look at when you look at what's going on out there. And when you train long enough, you actually realize that, or you believe that the formula and the solution, a part of the solution, I should say, is, is readily available. And a lot of things in society, it's like, why aren't we doing that? It's, it's readily available. Why don't we just put it into place? And I think that's when social entrepreneurs come into play. And I and that's what, how I see us. I see us as social entrepreneurs. We are we are a company. But really, our purpose is to give back to our community. Right. I think that's a big core value as martial artists, because when you do martial arts long enough, you realize it's not what you can take; it's more about what you can give back. And you, and it doesn't matter what level you are. If you're a martial artist and you commit to it, you've got to be able to give back in some way. You know, some people become teachers, competitors. Other people uh, uh, become like myself, become uh, uh, get involved in the combat sports space and, and, and teach and, and represent athletes or become promoters. You know, or you can do something as simple as just be a good training partner. But now we see a need that our communities need some sort of assistance to enhance or improve or reform what is going on in the state of the union to do it better. And we realize that our unique backgrounds, our training in jiu-jitsu, we can create a solution, a multi-tiered solution that, that can facilitate something that can create a dramatic impact and help save lives. That's pretty awesome. Um, with, uh, with someone to talk to you all based out of California, have you sat down with a lot of the, I'm sure you have sat down with a lot of the administrations from different agencies um, to, to ask what are they facing, over, like say in California and plus, obviously other places you, you guys have been, because um, I, like, I travel around the world as well, and I did it while I was a cop for 27 years. I've been running my business for about 18 years, uh, but I did it in between red-eye red flights back home, and I sat with a lot of military and, and chiefs and captains, um, but I saw the change happening as a, an academy instructor for so many years. I started seeing the, 
the demeanor of young cops coming in compared to when I first started. And I always say we have to be adaptable. And But jujitsu and martial arts has been around, been doing it for, for as a little kid from karate, kung fu, and into, you know, uh, jiu-jitsu myself for many years um, and my coach one of my coaches Eddie Cruz I worked in corrections with him and he's you know lean dude and he, he's done coaching back when Frankie Edgar was first hitting the scene and he knows these guys know each other very well and you get to meet these guys so a lot of the jail guys we used to work with would would make like you know oh yeah all this this rolling around all this stuff and we and Eddie would say listen man one day this is going to come out to say we need this and he was like well ahead of the curve, like many of you guys of telling law enforcement, like, you guys are going to need this. You know, you got to stop uh, not embracing it. You got to embrace this stuff. Um, fast forward, you know, as I started seeing a lot of the brass and, and upper rank, the, the check writers, uh, a lot of, a lot of time is not put into this hands-on stuff. Um, a lot of it's all computer-based learning, although it's important. I, I've been saying it's got to get back to 50-50. It's got to be 50%, you know, listen, we'll do webinars, we'll do this. But at the same time, you know, police officers, the perception versus reality effect on the street, you know, we teach it all the time. You guys teach it, I'm sure. You know, an open hand, you know, technique from one angle looks like a, a closed fist from somebody on the back. So my question to you guys, like when you sat sit with a lot of these check writers and people that are, like, getting you guys in there, what are they saying are their dilemmas? What's stopping them or what's the... The, the blocks that are preventing better training. Yeah, if I can jump in on that, I think what's really been um, it's been enlightening for us because a big part of our process <clears throat> is to do things like this: sit down with individuals like yourselves that are like yourself that's very knowledgeable, passionate, and committed to the process, and just share share our worldviews and our philosophies, and and it's been really um reaffirming because a lot of the people that we sat down with, they reaffirmed that our program is something that would work. So that gives us a lot of confidence. I think the biggest challenge that we face, um, and it's a challenge that we actually knew would be in place, so it wasn't even a surprise, but it was interesting hearing it from the bureaucracy themselves because it just kind of reaffirmed that our, our business plan and our, and, our, and our analysis was correct before we got in this. It's the bureaucracy. It's a bureaucracy is the biggest challenge. Because every police officer, whether it was a cadet or a trainer or a police chief that we've spoken to, they were blown away by our idea, especially when they actually sat down and they got a real understanding of how our program is different. Because we're not teaching, we're not here to just teach seminars. We're actually here to create a multi-tiered program that has the infrastructure that can actually support a small precinct to a huge police force like LAPD. Yeah. It, that's, and we're looking to create cultural and systemic reform. So we're not looking for one week, we're not looking for six weeks. We're looking to just like transform these individuals, make cultural changes, make officers martial artists, right? The same way that they get all a lot of time with weapons training, we want them to have the same, because that's a part of the culture. We want them to also know that the, that the jiu-jitsu training is also part of the culture. So I think the, the feedback that we've gotten was we love the idea. We've never seen this approach. Thumbs up. How can I help? And then the other part of the conversation is the biggest challenge we face is we can't even get money to buy wrestling matches. <laughs> right, right. So, so that's, that's, been, that's been the feedback we've gotten. But again, we... We started in 2019, and you know you're hearing about us now. 
that means we spent two years researching and creating an infrastructure. And sometimes when you don't get surprised with what you hear, you kind of say, okay, the silver lining is we're on the right track. Yeah. We're not where we want to be, but hopefully if we keep pushing and we keep having conversations like this, we'll get to the point that we hope to be soon. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Jason, you got anything you want to add to that or? Um, no, I think Nima captured it. Um, it, it's, it's true. The bureaucracy has been, it, it, it's been challenging to say the least. Um, it seems like, you know, when, when some of these issues are raised in the media and, and I mean, there was, there's been some hot points obviously in the last year where, um, you know, the focus is on lack of training or just on law enforcement in general. Uh, it seems like that's when we, we start getting some movement, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the focus isn't on it anymore, the optics aren't there, and then it dies down a little bit, and we're still pushing in the background, but, but you know, we're, we're trying to get to the forefront, and we're trying, what we ultimately want to, to see happen is, um, you know, I mean, it's inevitable. Some, something bad is going to happen again, um, but on either side of the fence, it's, it's going to happen again, and we just, we would like the uh, the police departments, any, any of them, to be able to say, look, we have something in place here. You know, you guys are screaming for change, you guys are, are demanding demanding uh, 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 reform, and here we go. This is, these are the steps that we're taking. Instead of being reactive, they're, they're, they're putting the step, steps in place, and they're actually um, making the right decisions or, or putting the right uh, training in place. I remember I heard someone say that when you treat everything like an algorithm, you can come up with solutions, right? And nice. I look at life in that way now, too. I kind of sit down and say, okay, what's the algorithm that we're working with right now? Why is there all this distrust and, and, and discontent and all this? And there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, part of it has to do, you know, especially in 2020, part of that too with the pandemic. So people were under a tremendous amount of stress and then anything could really just trigger society to move. So there's political, there's the social unrest from what's going on at a current moment in time, right? As well as what's going on in the media and, and what media machine is, is, is reporting the news, right? And that's, when you start looking at it from that perspective, you'll understand why we've actually removed ourselves from the political argument, right? We, we engage in the political argument as much as it needs to be discussed because it's an issue, right? But at the end of the day, okay, everyone, we're on everyone. We're on the side of the police force. We're on the side of the community, right? And when I, when I created the algorithm in my own mind, just kind of process what's going on, I said, okay, you have officers that are trained, but they can be trained better. And a lot of these officers, unfortunately, and I'm just going to keep it real, they're trained at maybe a low white belt level in jiu-jitsu, right? When they go into a, a situation, a high intense situation, they're not prepared for it. And then it's not just not having the skill set, it's dealing with the psychological uh, uh, situation that comes in your own mind when you can't handle something, right? So your breathing gets out of place and you can't handle something, you get anxious, your adrenaline kicks in. And then even someone who's skilled, they don't have a lot of training, if they get your adrenaline and, and the breathing off, the skill set's gonna go down, right? right? 
So these two factors put together, and the people are not able, officers or deputies are not able to contain a situation safely. When that happens, those two elements together in that algorithm results in the community turning around and saying, the police are out to get us because we're minorities, or we don't trust the police. So that's the algorithm, in my mind, it's a risk of oversimplifying things. That's the way the algorithm looks like. But my idea, our idea, I'm sorry, is let's just change the algorithm. Let's, let's enhance the training so officers are able to, to, to enter a situation calmly and with a good skill set, contain a situation safely, and then in turn, over time, the result will be you've got community members when they see a police car coming into a scene of a crime, they feel safe, they don't feel threatened. Right. The trust goes up. So our goal is, at the risk of simplifying things, is let's change the algorithm, and we have the formula and the elements to do so. That's cool. That really, that makes so so much sense. Uh, you know, and coming from your guys' background perspective, like I said, being, it's good, you know, although some of you don't really have any law enforcement, you have the educational environment where you train a lot of law enforcement and just your knowledge in general. And you, you guys are obviously great uh, interactors with people. And um, so it's good that I can sense it that you guys are really influencing the training for officers. Um, and you're, you're 100% spot on. I always talk to the officers and, and the people I deal with all the time. Even before I re- retired, I talked to so many people. You know, I used to run our SWAT team for years. And, um, you know, a lot of the, 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 the places that where all the drugs and gun distribution stuff was going on and in you know, our part of town, like a bordering city, um, you know, our team would go up, just blow up the streets in a sense of like just eradicate any of the, the mess that's there and clean up the streets because of quality of life, you know. Um, and there's so many people used to ask me, like, you, you, could you have shot somebody as a police officer? Like, there's many times I was on calls that where I could have pulled the trigger at least a thousand times, easily. You know, I could have pummeled somebody a thousand times easily. But the training that we had back our time up until like the early 2000, right after 9-11, a lot of things I saw changed about 9-11. Um, everything was high impact and pres- presence. Like our presence, we'd show up with lights on our guns, a lot of verbal commands. We knew how to interact. We knew how to talk to people. We knew how to verbalize. So a lot of, nine times out of 10, subjects just complied quickly. It was done. Society saw and they're like, my God, you guys are badass, whatever. Boom. But then something happened along the way where a lot, a lot of the world got a little bit softer in a sense of like sensitivity. So like again, we have to be adaptable uh, to what we do. Uh, and as we started morphing into our training with uh, on the business side, um, there was drills we used to do, especially with the SWAT team classes we do. And we, it was an ambush drill where guys, where our eyes were closed, we we just tackle them and they least expected it. Boom! And then as soon as you got hit, eyes open, you, the fight was on. A lot of these guys were, you know, jujitsu guys, and they, they knew as soon as they got hit, you know, they knew normally what to do, but with all their gear on, that was the stuff they were missing, where they were not training enough with their gear. But we sent the message to the, to the fact that, hey, listen, we're going to give you real-time experience of what it feels like to hurt, feel pain, how to roll, all that good stuff. But, but then what happened, many of these, these cops, they started going back to their departments to say, hey, chief, hey, captain. We need to get our, our game up. So a lot of I'm seeing a lot of uh, departments, at least in my region, East Coast and in the Midwest now, a lot of the agencies are getting money 
and they're ordering basically the lottery guys and gals they have to go to uh, a local BJJ location in their town like they, they set something up with the coaches there and saying listen we're going to pay you for the year whatever you know so the company's making money but they're bringing in the officers mandatory once a week you must go and practice because they're trying to work enhance the use of force issue and that's the issue the use of force is the biggest issue out here in the United States which is what's causing this calamity and look think about it last year around this time chaos broke loose you know the Floyd thing happened um, and it seemed like every few years this stuff continues to happen I tell the cops all the time like in training um, there's a factor in use of force we call it factors that uh, that affect officers decision making and we, we make a circle there you're the officer Give me some factors that affect your decision-making. So we asked them, as you as the cop, one year, 20 years, what affects your decision-making out there in the street when it comes to, you know, dealing with the public? So we go around the room. And now the first thing I'll say is, how many of you cops go to work planning on shooting somebody? Raise your hand, right? And no, everyone looks at you like, a, no. But I said, how many, how many of you cops go to work knowing you have a great chance of going to hands with somebody? Somehow, some way, whether it's shaking hands or grappling with them, whatever. Everyone, I said, every one of you should be raising your hand. Even when we have like chiefs in the class, like you guys go to lunch at a pizza joint, you may be going to hands with somebody. You know, um, you can't use this. I'm a pencil pusher now, right? We tell them you can't use that anymore because you might be out there. And and I had a friend who got shot as a deputy chief and returned fire, so he realized, wow, I need to keep training. Um, with that being said, um, the you guys get to see like a lot of the use of force policies that are out there, like in your state of uh, Cal, you're all from California, right? Both? Yeah. Right. And you get to see their policies and other policies. And yeah. Go ahead. I jumped in just because so much of what you said resonated with me and I, I can feel it with Jason as well. So I think uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of break a couple things down just to touch on a couple things that you said. First, we are a group of black belts, and we did put the program together, but there's no way we could have done this program, the curriculum that, that we created, had it not been for the police consultants that we retained to work with us. So this thing has to work with not just the jiu-jitsu community, but the law enforcement community, and we have to see each other as friends and partners. So every step of the way through this curriculum as it relates to the techniques per se that we use, We've, we've, had we've had police consultants involved every step of the way. And we have, what we have, we've actually put into our program measures to help evolve the system over time as well. So first thing I would say is, when you have your officers and your trainees train in uniforms, we do the exact same thing. We've created a system that's specifically designed for law enforcement. And there are parts of the training, and we have looked at the, obviously, with, with, with the work that we've done, and we have to do, we've looked at what's currently in place. And there's parts of the program that we actually like. We like the de-escalation training. We've actually, we've actually incorporated and tested the escalation training, and we try to enhance it. What we, and, and Jason always says this too, we're not trying to change the program, we're trying to enhance the program. So first thing is, Officers always train in bulletproof vests and utility belts because the mobility is very important and we have to make sure that the, that the positions that we show and we created, they transition to what the officers are going to be wearing. We incorporate a tremendous amount of de-escalation training. There's no striking or, or chokeholds in our program 
unless it's to the flex strikes that are being thrown. And of course, if it's life or death, you know, there are moments when you can use a strike or you can use a, a choke. But for the most part, our program is based on no strikes and no choke. The second, um, second thing is, um, so th those are two really big elements of our program. And then it's the continued training. Because I remember when I was a little kid, I don't know if you remember, like, you sound like little book fairs. Yeah, and I remember yeah. I was in the first grade, and I would go to the library and had this little book fair. And they had this book on karate. And I said, wow. And I bought the book, and I started going home trying to like read the book and figure out how to do karate. It doesn't work that way. It goes back to the There's so much stuff that they teach you sitting at a desk, but when it comes to martial arts, you actually need to have that experience. And the good thing about jujitsu is you can actually become a confident white belt and actually become really, really effective, right? Yeah. Depending on who your teacher is. I mean, the old school that I trained at and the school that we trained at, the white belt, sometimes you're white belt for two years and they're effective, right? So, but you have to train. You have to have that connection. You have to put the time in. And we've actually, our program has been designed in such a way where it's not just jujitsu training, it becomes a place of therapy for officers, a place where they can release themselves from the stress that they have when they, after they finish work or, you know, in between work. And it's a place of, you know, congregation and a place where they can just kind of feel at peace and not feel threatened and just get a good sweat, but also get some tools that will actually help not only protect themselves, but also the community members that they're there to serve. That's freaking that's awesome. Really, it really is. I mean, uh, it's inspirational because, like I said, it's good to see this type of system and this type of company like yourselves. You know, there's, there's many out there, you know, that are doing, trying to do similar things. I mean, like I said, I've been in business 18 years out of 27 in law enforcement, and I, I've seen a lot of companies come and go, but it's good to see the educational factor coming in more. Like, a lot of, a lot of these groups are coming in and you know, I'm a former military guy. A lot of these 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 groups with the seals and stuff are very respectable, but it's a lot of running and gunning. Um, and I've been saying that we we as cops like there's a different environment we live in in suburbia, you know, compared to overseas, you know. And it's good to when I start reading up a little bit on your website and saw the page on Instagram pop, and I'm sure I'm just a small potato. You guys one day you, get, you probably have like half a million followers before this is all done. Um, but it's great to see that you guys are really taking the initiative to help um, basically the cause of what a lot of us have been trying to say, like, we have to do better. We have to do more. You know, uh, many times I go on social media pages or, or like a law comes out here, like in Jersey, I'm in Jersey, but other states around us, I get a message. Jose, what do you think of this bullshit? You know, use the force policy, this and that. I'm like, well, did you read it? Did you read it? What? Just some of the new stuff. I'm like, did you read the whole thing? Um, because... You could take, like you guys know, you could take the policies of, you know, physical contact, physical force, uh, constructive authority, all the verbiage that's used in the, the thing, and then we tell you guys, like, this is what you you have to bring this into the training arena, and practice this, right? You got to practice this stuff, you know. Well, they don't, you know, f our department, f this, like you know, like you're wearing all the, the cool tattoos that say blue line stuff. We all support you, but you got to have this mentality where like. You, we should all be learning. And a lot of the cops I see, like, it's not until we they hit the deck, in our like our training anyway, they realize, man, I got to step up my game. I said, we're just giving you the basics. And we always try to tell cops now, like, go back to learning the basic stuff. Whatever it is, the basic draw, index, and fire, the basic, you know, takedown and jujitsu, the basic. Because if you master the basics, 
you, the advanced stuff is going to be not, it's going to be so second nature. It's like nothing, but you got to practice the basics. I mean, hell, I teach active shooter, and I just got back from Illinois, and twenty five people, they're all like, we're rusty. Well, well no, you you, and you do room clearing all the time, but you walk into Starbucks, no, like you should be clearing with your eyes. Your eyes tell the story of everything. Your eyes tell you what your next move is going to be. But going back to this, the whole thing is like, hey guys, gals, you gotta master the basics, read your stuff. Uh, when people call me about the Floyd incident, when that happened, they're, they're ripping at me, you know, about Jose this, and what do you think? Why? Yeah, it was wrong what he did. Exactly, you know, what we saw was, you know, a guy who was trained by somebody, and then people said, well, that's not in their training. Go, yes, it is. They're like, no, I said, and I pulled up their policy. I go, neck restraint, render conscious or unconscious. My thing was, who puts that in a policy where you can lay on somebody's neck? I said, and I saw that. And I said, why isn't the chief of police being grilled for this? Why isn't the attorney general of Minnesota being grilled for this? Somebody approved this and somebody taught this. And you know, it, the master instructor teaches this to an instructor. That instructor filters it down into the lowest common denominator. It's all watered down stuff where guys like yourself, you know, the officers are getting trained by you. They're getting trained by the instructors that are, enforcing and reinforcing the basic principles of what your your mission is so they, they never forget it and that's the thing like the bruce lee quote go back to karate kung fu bruce lee right he said you know running water never grows stale and that's what you try to tell these guys like you know you're you're obligated when you put that badge and uniform and that gun belt on you go out there you know the world is watching and i we've been saying this for god knows how many years but it's good to see you guys out here like actually being um, really, the educators of, you know, because what it is, in summary, for myself, my perspective from looking outside, looking in, there's so many dojos out there. And I train with a couple of my coaches from here in Jersey, and they're really good dudes. And they'll even say to me, like, when we go over arm bar techniques of handcuffing to handcuffing, and we always do finishing. We don't ever, like, especially Eddie Cruz, you know, he'll hear this podcast. My, my One of my oldest coaches, he said, finish it. He, he made me always handcuff, handcuff. Um, but those guys are even say like the problem is a lot of these guys they want to put the geese on and they want to go up the levels of belt but a lot of these guys don't want to put into work like you said there's harder working ass kicking white belts than there are you know blue belts you know in a sense because uh, they, they're hungry for something and I think you, you guys have kind of like the college forum of use of force the way I look at your what your mission is, if I'm not off key there. Well, you're, you're hitting it. Like you're hitting a lot of areas that are resonating with me again. I mean, first thing, you're talking about not basics, you're talking about advanced basics. Right. And, and, and if you get very confident with advanced basics and advanced fundamentals, you have a foundation that can, that can really, really keep you safe and keep others safe. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you have to make the environment not only the instruct, not only the students that are learning, but the instructors have to always be in a state of mind where we can make it better and we can make it evolve. And that's been a big part of our our program. What as well is, if our program looks the same in 2021, and I'm sorry, if our program looks the same in 2027 as it did in 2021, as far as we're concerned, we failed. Because the way I see it is, if you look at the jiu-jitsu from the early 1900s and you compare it to what it looks like now, it looks different. If you look at the MMA from 1993, and you look at the MMA of 2021, it looks different. There are different facets of jiu-jitsu. There's force jiu-jitsu, there's no-gi grappling jiu-jitsu, there's self-defense jiu-jitsu, there's MMA jiu-jitsu, 
and there's tactical jiu-jitsu. Every one is a system in and of itself that uses jiu-jitsu. There's no reason why all the other four evolve technically and the tactical shoots. So our program is designed for all of us to be students and to put the ego aside. So it's just the same way that we want to teach the officers to have really good skill sets. We are also making a proactive measure within our program to continue to make our own techniques evolve. No one can be lazy. Everyone has to be proactive. Now, I know that we have the initiative, and I know that the schools that are working with us have the initiative to do that. But sometimes it's how do you keep the officers motivated? Because you're right, it requires hard work. It's a it's work to go into a jiu-jitsu academy after a long, hard day's work when you could be home watching Netflix and decompressing <laughs> and or let somebody yank on you or throw you down. So we created incentive program to help motivate the officers to stay, and we make the program fun. You have to make it fun. You have to make it a place where, when I go to jiu-jitsu, everyone laughs at me because I've told this story over and over again, almost to the point where it's become redundant, but it's, the, it's my point of reference. When I go to jiu-jitsu, my wife looks at me and says, are you going to therapy? <laughs> and, then say, and then I say yes, and she says, all right, I'll see you after therapy. It's a place where it's not a duty to go, it's a duty to go because I have a responsibility to myself. But in reality, I get so much pleasure being there. So that's a part of, you know, you said a lot of things that really resonated with me. Advanced basics is very important. Not only this, the officers should continue to learn and put the work in. I think the instructors and the heads of the company can never get lazy right. and we have to make it evolve. And we have to make the, and we have to make the process fun. And the way you make the process fun is not only by making it a cool environment, but a place where you have a tremendous amount of purpose. When you're a social entrepreneur, it's not about the money, it's about what you're giving back to your communities. And when we have our brainstorming sessions amongst ourselves, I can't tell you how often we talk about how our grandkids are gonna look back and look at the work that we've done. And we want our grandkids to look back and look at the work that we've done, not just with the founders of the company, but people like yourself, and the people in the political sphere, and the people in the martial arts community, and the people in the non in the civil rights or civil liberties community, and the people in the law enforcement community, we want to be able to look back and say we were we were able to bring all of these groups together, unified with one purpose that we can all agree with during a time when our country was divided and politicized. That's a lot of purpose. That's a, and it's not going to come easy, but we're committed to the work because it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, what it now? So between you and Jason, like you guys, when you go out and teach, um, like you deal with the community. Like you ever guys get to sit down and talk to the community about what you guys are doing right now? I know you kind of hinting on it, and like I, sometimes we'll get like someone doing a technical move or show a move to like a citizens self defense group, right? And then they'll say, "Well, how come you know? How come the cops aren't doing this?" You know, and then we tell them, well, the cops are doing it. But, like, you as professional coaches, the way you train and teach, you have to tell the community, this is what we're doing, this is our mission. Um, maybe they do some training with you just to see what's going on. Um, do you ever get them saying, you know, how come the cops, or are the cops doing this? Or, you know, you get a lot of the support or kind of like, hey, why, the why, why, why type stuff? Well, you know, we're, we, we are reaching out to the community, and, and basically our, our, 
our goal is to speak to anyone that has an interest in this cause, regardless of what political position they hold. So if I can sit down and go into a room with some some people from the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, which which maybe some of them will want to hear what we have to say, maybe some of them will be patient, but they already have their opinions made up. We still want to walk into that room and have that conversation. Okay. We want to have the hard conversation, and we want people to realize our side is a side that everybody can agree with. And a part of the conversation is going to be how can we make it better. A part of the conversation is going to be what are you guys doing specifically. Um, so we are reaching out to community. Actually, a part of our program, a part of our program, also focuses very much on our community outreach as well. And it's, and it's humanizing the law enforcement with their community. So we actually want officers to get trained in our program and to do our community outreach programs together so that it's not just an officer in a uniform that they're talking to. It's someone that they can humanize and say, that's my neighbor, that could be my coworker, that could be the, the father or the mother of a child that just goes to school with my child, right? So we are reaching out to people that they are quite interested with, with how we're doing things. We're talking to council members, we're talking to law enforcement trainers, as well as people in the higher political uh, scheme of things. Um, yeah, so I think it's important to speak to everybody and show them both our, our philosophy, our vision, as well as specifically our techniques, but also our infrastructure. Because if you just want to teach jujitsu, it's not enough. You actually have to have an infrastructure that can that can service and and handle the capacity that the law enforcement needs to be serviced. Yeah. Good stuff, Jason. What's your thoughts on some of this stuff? Um, I, I would, would like to point out uh, the fact that we brought a psychologist on board uh, a couple years ago, and we really dove deep into uh, the effects. And, and training um, from a psychological standpoint. Uh, flipping the lid is, is one of our uh, one of the things that we learned from the very beginning. Um, actually, the psychologist taught me a lot about the effects. And, and as she was speaking, she had done like some research on jujitsu and meditation, and uh, and watched, watched a bunch of documentaries. And she came back and she. She laid it out for me. It was crazy to see. Um, she she explained that like higher level a uh, uh, higher level jujitsu practitioner would basically in, in some of the worst circumstances, somebody's trying to choke you out. Somebody's uh, I mean you're you're close to unconsciousness, and the 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 higher level uh, practitioner was able to slow everything down, kind of like the matrix, slow everything down formulate a plan and, and be able to survive, first of all, first off, and then um, oppose a deep, or, or, or um, put a defense up and then be able to switch around and, and start um, imposing offense. So as, as I was talking to her, oh, this, this is perfect for an officer. I mean, they walk, walk into the situation and, and just with that confidence, right? Just with the confidence and, and they, they can walk into a situation a, a, a little bit different, right? They're, they're going to be they're going to be a little bit more uh, uh, reserved and able to to handle a, a conflict, as well as the 
humble. Um, one of my one of my good friends is actually uh, a consultant for a company right now. He's, he's an active uh, uh, police officer. He had never done jujitsu. He had actually he had wrestled. He had boxed. I mean, he's he's uh, about six two, two hundred forty pounds. He's a big boy. Uh, never wanted to, to run away from anything. And we brought him in to go over some of the techniques um, from our, our program. And we ended up using one of our business partners. He's about 140 pounds soaking wet. And <laughs> they started they started messing around. And, and, and the thing that, that my partner was able to do to uh, this friend of mine was, I mean, he, he looked like he had just been violated. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, to, to be the option, we tell people all the time, there's options, not absolutes, but um, the one thing as a cop, you know, 
uh, police officer that if you make one bad mistake, the absolute thing's going to happen. You're going to be grilled by society. Uh, um, if you pull that trigger, that round goes 2,000 feet per second. You're, you're responsible for that. So that's a decision you make, right? And, and you said the training you guys are giving, um, it, it, should reson- it should resonate even more. And I, and I think it, I see you guys like it's a, it's a really cool organized uh, system you guys have just from my research I've been doing. And I was really you know, happy when you guys reached out to say, hey, you know, we're willing to, to, to talk because, like, you know, I just got back from meeting with a couple of SWAT team groups, uh, regional SWAT teams here in Jersey City, you know, and uh, they've been, a lot of those guys have been in a lot of classes and they know we're, we're into grounding and pounding, you know, like we're a reality-based company. We give them street training. We don't just give them, you know, you know the land and make-believe stuff. And I, I was telling them about that, hey, we're going to do, do this interview with this elite in, in tactics and, and uh, they were like, yeah, we can't wait to listen to it. And, you know, and those guys have been following to say, hey, you know, we got to get our guys this type of training. But I think um, the question I have for you guys, two questions. One, um, being in California, you're doing implementing the system into the police academies. And two, are you guys doing work not just in California, but are you guys also opening seminars throughout the country? So, so first thing is, don't do seminars. Um, okay. Because we, what we want is we want to create a performance. We want to encourage people to train regularly. So we want to create a program that's going to create regularity and change. So that's, um, you know, but in the course of meeting certain people, we have to show what we what we know. We have to give our business plan. So in that respect, we're open to meeting with people and, and getting them exposed to what lead tactic is. Um, as it relates to the, the program itself, we're in discussions with different uh, police departments. So that's ongoing. I can't really get into too much because we're in the program. But I will say that we have a network, you know, that, that goes from coast to coast. So you can basically, and, what, and Jason can talk a little bit more about this. What we kind of believe is that we have plug and play. Our, our program is such, and our infrastructure is such that New Jersey can call us up and we can put it in place. And if we don't have a network of schools in that particular district, depending on how big the department is, we can get about we can get something rolled out within six to eight months if we don't have anything available at the time. We've got our, our we've got the curriculum, we've got our program, we've got our software, we've got our technology, we've got our psychologist, we've got all the things in place, just plug and play it. Just plug and play it and then find the right and if we don't have a network we create one in a short amount of time. Um, Jason, is there anything that I might have missed on that on that part of the question? No, that, that's it. I mean uh, just, just to kind of uh, reiterate what Tina said, um, it, it is a plug and play thing. I mean, the, the important thing is we, that we have the curriculum, that we have the relationships and the network of, of uh, instructors across the country. And, and as you said, if, if it's in some tiny little town in, in South Dakota, it needs uh, we tactics or needs jujitsu there, we, we can be there and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll roll it out and, and, and um, get that system up and running. But I have to add one more thing to that. Just because it's plug and play, don't, let's not, let's, let's be very clear on one thing. The quality of the instruction will always remain top, top notch and stellar. We don't have blue belts teaching, we don't have purple belts teaching. They're all going to be accomplished, accredited black belts that believe in our purpose, 
that also are not political, but they're there to not only help the police department, but are also there to help the community. So the, the quality of instruction will be very high, and the quality of the human being running that, that program in that territory has to be equally high. That's freaking, that's freaking awesome, guys. Um, so lastly, uh, is there anything um, we want to say to our audience? Because obviously when I start pumping this out, you guys obviously going to just trail all over the place. You guys are trendsetters with this stuff. But uh, anything you want to say where officers and people in general could go to your site or uh, if they want to look you guys up or sign in, like what can, I, what can we tell them? Yeah, so, um, so go to our Instagram account, Lee Tactics Inc., at Lee Tactics Inc., follow us, but also reach out to us and start a dialogue. If you're in the civil, and it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you fall in, what side of the table you fall in, call us. We want to have the difficult conversation. We want to create the relationship. This is relationship-driven. Lead Tactics is a conduit, but this is something we're all going to do together. So we want to speak to anyone from law enforcement. We want to speak to anyone from the civil liberties groups. We want to speak to anyone uh, on the political side, whether they're council members, governors, senators. We're happy to speak with donors. Give us a call. Don't just follow us. Be proactive. Let us engage with us, and let's see how we can figure out a solution together. Anything that you would add to that, Jason? You got it. <laughs> He's your man. And, and for the audience, uh, tell them what LEAD stands for. Law Enforcement Alternative Defense. That's perfect. That's perfect. So, guys, thank you so much, uh, Jason and Nemo. You guys have been great. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm honored to have you on the show, the first one since uh, last year. Um, and I, I know I'm, I'm all over your page right now. I've been watching it. So we're going to help uh, move the movement towards you guys so people can get more educated. Because they said... Um, yeah, I'm 53 years old and I still got a lot of spunk left in me. Um, but we need guys like you out there to help, you know, our brothers and sisters out here in law enforcement. And, and again, just summarizing, we, we, we want to make, make people listening here to this thing today to, to know. We talk cops all the time. The large majority of society love the cops. They love the police. It's uh, many of these young cops and, you know, older cops that are disgruntled. You know, I know, I know all the Barney Fife guys that, you know, ah, I don't give a shit. But I tell them, people love you guys. It's a small percentage that have that thing, but it, you have a media, you know, that we know can twist things around. And I mean, from back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the media's been doing this. And we try to let them know, guys, gals, like, you're supported. This whole defunded police that's been going on forever, it doesn't make sense. Like, you're, you're t so you want to take money away from people who need training. Like, <laughs> that's the most hypocritical thing I've ever heard in my life. And reality is, like, you, you see in New York right now, they're... They're like, oh, my God, they're, they're boosting up the funding. It's never going to go away. We tell the officers that, but we also tell them, you, gotta, you guys hold your line, stay educated, protect and serve. You're the superheroes, but you got to keep training. You can't say, well, the department needs to train me. Sometimes you got to invest in yourself. That's what we tell the cops. Sometimes you got to go out and, and find something, say, hey, chief, this, this cool company, Leeds Inc., man, I went on their site. They got some great stuff. Like, be, we tell them, be part of the solution. That's how I started. I was a pusher. You know, I go to training, put my, my money out of my pocket, pay for a lot of my stuff. I go back, say, hey, chief, you got to check this out. And I became the influence. And, you know, that's how we got it. And I tell these guys, you got to do the same thing. You can't expect them, you know, to teach you how to be this superstar cop 
And then if they don't, oh, well, they don't love me. Oh, look at the media. See, we tell them, hold the line. You owe it to society to, to, to make them safe out here. That was my thing. Like I, and again, um, on my last words on my side was, I'd walk out this door as a SWAT guy. My wife and, and kids would watch me walk out the door hundreds of times a week, you know, just you know, for, for years, walking out the door, doing jobs, you know, t- you know, taking down drug dealers, gun traffickers, the whole night, and then I go to work. And I did my job, I trained, I came home with bruises, I came home sore, but like you guys said, what you guys do, like martial arts and, and uh, um, BJJ and mixed martial arts and everything, that's like therapy, you know? Rolling around or just striking, whatever, getting sweaty. But we tell cops, like, I train before I go to work. Like, that was my therapy. Because I know when I went to work, I was going to be, be dealing with a hailstorm of bullshit. So I go work out, get my workout in, de- decompress, go to work. And I, like you guys said before, in both conversations, you guys said, I go work. I felt so much better when I went on a call. Um, that was my philosophy was telling guys, you don't go to the call and then think of a strategy. You hear the call, you start strategizing in your car, then you get there, you're ready, you're ready mixing it up in your mind, this is what I'm gonna do if this person does this. And that's the message we've been sending. The problem is a lot of these cops get enamored by the media, right? They get into this, oh my God, everybody hates us. Nah, man, this many people hate you, this many people love you, but just hold the line. And I'm like, again, at the end of the day, I'm very thankful for you guys. Uh, being there because as soon as I saw it on Instagram and you guys must have just launched it not too long ago because it just started and I saw just a few pictures I'm like I went to the website said these guys are onto something big you know so uh, we thank you for what you're doing really do that's a yeah I have to I have to I talk too much so I apologize but <laughs> I have to I, I feel really really humbled to hear you say that um, and I agree with everything that you just said you know, the reality is the vast majority of people love law enforcement. There's a small minority of people that don't. And unfortunately, sometimes the minority becomes the challenges when the minority becomes the environment of how you yeah. look at a situation. You're absolutely right. Officers, every single person in the country, in this planet, they have to take accountability for themselves, especially officers. And even when you do take accountability and you do everything right and you advance yourself and you empower yourself to be the best version of yourself, you're still going to find people that are going to say negative things. And that just comes with the territory. I've dealt with media and celebrity figures for 15 years. I've seen athletes do some of the most amazing things you can ever see. And I see people hating them. So, and you know what? If they're not talking about you, that's the problem. Yeah. So if you're, if you're doing something right, you're going to get positive feedback and you're inevitably going to get negative. Like you have to stay on course, you have to stay accountable, you have to stay hungry, you have to have your purpose. And you're right, like you train before you go to work, you go to work and you do your duty. I look at the best, because I spent so much time in the combat sports thing. The best, I saw a lot of fighters, but not all fighters were martial artists, but the best champions tended to be the martial artists that became fighters. You get a guy like George St. Pierre. He goes to Thailand just as much as going to the beaches in Thailand. He wants to find a Muay Thai gym to work out. Yeah, right. Goes to Brazil just the same way he wants to go to have Shahaskaria. He also wants to go to a jiu-jitsu school and learn. And for an officer, you know, that's what our goal is, is that can we, can we make officers fall in love with martial arts so that it becomes a lifestyle for them and it doesn't become an obligation? And this lifestyle, while at the same time, is a passion becomes a passion for them it helps them save lives as well yeah so 
we're really, really honored to be on your show today. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to to tell you about who we are and what we're trying to accomplish. I promise that we will do our best and we will stay committed to this to this purpose. Um, and speaking to people like yourself and working together collectively for that single purpose is going to be the difference of whether lead is successful or not. Lead isn't going to be successful because lead is here. Lead is going to be successful because of moments like this that we're sharing, discussing things and coming up with solutions and being accountable and being ready for the hard work that comes with it. So thank you so much, Jose. We're really, really happy to And I hope this is the last time we get to talk and, and we get to do a lot more things together. Yeah, really. I, I hope so too. Jason, Jason, Nima, uh, Nima, thank you so much. Like I said, um, you guys are 10 times busier because I know you guys are just rolling forward. You're going to be even busier because this is not going any, any away anytime soon because we need it. Um, don't forget the little guy, right? And, and just, <laughs> don't forget the little guy, all right? But um, I really appreciate it. And you're going to see a lot more people coming to you from our end because uh, guys, right, as soon as I posted uh, that we're going to do this, a lot of guys at the meeting today like, oh, we're going to be listening. And, you know, I got a lot of chiefs calling me up. I can't wait to listen to that, man. You know, because I, I like throwing, throwing stuff at people like straight from the, the hip, you know, and you guys are so transparent about everything. And uh, again, law enforcement, family, you know, my family, uh, many generations of it, we thank you for what you guys are doing. So uh, if you ever need anything, anything from me, feel free to reach out. I thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. Have a great thank weekend. You. Be safe. All right. Thank, thank you. Be good. <laughs> Be good, guys. Thanks. Beautiful job, Nima. I think we're still on. All right, gang. So that is the uh, the official 2021 real time experience podcast with uh, Leeds Tactics Incorporated with uh, Nima Safapur and Jason Perry. Again, uh, great dudes, great guys, and uh, give us some feedback. Reach out to me at Medina, M-E-D-I-N-A, at APC360Zone.com and uh, leave some remarks on our podcast page. Thanks again.